Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you weren't with us last week, we're uh, doing a study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and so we're jumping around the Gospels. We find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke today, and uh, last week Jesus had sent out the 70, or the 72, depending on what your, interpret- what your Bible says, there's some discrepancy in, or some discrepancy in a, maybe a scribe had put 72 or 70, but the reality is that Jesus sent out his disciples into the world, and the point that He's focused now on his disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's months away from the cross at this point, And he is preparing them to live life without him in terms of his physical presence. He said he'd always be with them. And of course, he's even with us today. Jesus said, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The end of the age, speaking of the very present age that we live in called the church age. We're going to talk a little bit about that later, but... Um, the reality is that Jesus is going to be with them, but he is going to depart this earth. And so he's pouring into his disciples at this point in time, helping them understand how they can go into the world empowered with the gospel of Christ to, to teach people, to help them understand what it means to be a child of God. Because again, not everyone's a child of God. Every person born in this world is a creation of God. There's a distinction God created us all, no question, but we're not all children of God. We have to be adopted into the family of God. Uh, Jesus came for that very purpose, to open up the family of God to us because God's heart is to be in relationship with us. He loves us. He loves us so much that from the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve failed to obey God's word, And they ate of the tree, and God said, you know what, I have to banish you from the garden. You lost something that day. They lost the title deed of the earth. They lost fellowship with God. They lost relationship because of their disobedience. But Jesus, the Father said immediately that he was going to send one that would crush the enemy, that would open up the way for you and I to be in relationship with God, that we could become children of God once again. And so... Jesus is preparing his his disciples to take that message into the world. Take that message of God had come to reconcile man to himself through one person, Jesus Christ. And that is the message that Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. But they have to understand that they're going to be in danger when they go into the world. He said, I'm going to send you in as sheep among the wolves. There's occupational hazard when you become a Christian. There's some danger that comes with it. But Jesus said, don't be worried. Don't fear. I'll be with you. I will empower you. I will protect you until it's your time to come home. Yes, we believe that God has a a time frame for our life. We believe that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. We believe that there is a point in time where God's hand is upon you and nothing can take you from this earth unless you tempt God, unless you test Him and you stand out in front of a bus that's moving at 40 miles an hour. See you later. You're not going to make that. But beyond your will, just submission to God's will, His hand is upon your life, protecting you, watching over you, and sending you into a world that is dangerous. But He's going to be with them. And and so what we find in in Luke chapter 10, in the the, the very first 16 verses, is God sending uh, uh, these disciples out into the world And he told them to do two things, 
to heal people of the sick, to, to heal the sick and to preach the gospel, preach the kingdom of God, really, is what he said. But what we're going to find out here is they come back now, and as they return from doing what Jesus told them to do, they are overjoyed because there's joy in ministering for, for Jesus Christ. There is incredible joy. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Stand with me if you would, please. We're going to begin in uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And Father, we thank you for your word, your holy word, your infallible word, we thank you, Father. We ask that you would help us today to see the truth in it, that you would help us to be drawn to yourself, God, and that you would change our lives this morning. Oh, we have this word that is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword before us this morning. With a humble heart, God, you will change us, and we ask for that. We submit ourselves to your counsel, to your will, to your word this morning. And we ask that you would help us maybe to find the joy that we've lost, Lord. Maybe to rekindle the fire that's been dampered. Lord, we need to hear from you this morning. And we ask your Holy Spirit would just speak directly to us individually as we look at your word this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I've entitled this morning's message, The Joy of Ministering. The joy of ministering. There is nothing like ministering for Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it in all the world. You know, when I first got saved and, and, I, and I entered a church, um, I, I got plugged into ministering immediately. I didn't know anything about anything really, but I was plugged into worship ministry immediately. I had a guy that was discipling, that was caring for me, that was pouring into my life, and he saw the gifts and talents that the Lord had given me, and so he said, hey, why don't you start to serve the Lord? Because the best thing you can do as a new believer in Christ is to serve Him, to minister on His behalf, to simply share what God is sharing with you. You don't have to be a theologian to do that, you know. To be a minister of God. Do you know what that means? Servant. The word minister means servant. You know, oh, are you a minister? You can say, yeah, I am a minister because I'm a servant of the Most High God. I am a minister. You're a minister. We're all in ministry. And there's great joy in the ministry. I can tell you, as the Lord has used me in various different capacities, as He's used you in various different capacities in His church, 
the joy that comes on uh, being used by God. There's nothing that can compare. We, saw, we sang the song, there's nothing that can compare to Him and there's nothing that can compare to being used by Him in this place for His glory. That's what it's about. It's about His glory. It's about you. It's about your life. It's about God you, pouring Himself through you and exposing Himself to the world through you. You get to be a vessel. What an honor it is. What a privilege it is for us to be ministers of Jesus Christ, to be his servants. These fellows that were ministering on God's behalf, it tells us here that they came back full of joy. In verse 17, they were full of joy. Why were they full of joy? Because of the great things they experienced? Because of, you know, the, 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 maybe the, the going forth of the gospel? Why were they full of joy? I believe they were full of joy, not because of what they experienced, because of who they were working for. Really, that is where our joy comes from. God is the source. There is no other source of joy, Christian. There is no, there is no ministry that will provide you the joy that only the Lord can. He is our source, nothing else. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Listen to this. You can read it on the screen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God is a God of hope, number one. But He's also the source, singular, of our joy. He is the source. We can't get joy from any other place. You could say, man, if only I had that job, I would be filled with joy. No, you won't. What is joy in the first place? It's, it's, it's overwhelming gladness. There is just something in you that is beaming, that's bursting forth in your heart. That is joy. And let me tell you, if you seek it in anything else other than the Lord, you will find false joy. You will find temporary happiness. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? God wants you to be joyful. God wants you to be joyful. There's a difference. Are you happy when you're joyful? You can nod your head like that. Yeah, you are. But happiness is not the end all joy is, and He is the source of that. So if you find yourself lacking joy today in your Christian walk, if you're not beaming with hope, well, maybe you're, you're, you, you are looking to the wrong source. Maybe you are gravitating towards something earthly, something horizontal that is trying to fulfill uh, only the void that God can fulfill, only the, the experience of joy that God can bring in your life because He is the source of our joy. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord in all aspects of life. We can have joy in every experience in our life, good and bad. Every aspect. When there are difficult times that come, if we keep our eyes on the source, we will have full joy. It doesn't mean that we won't hurt. It doesn't mean that sorrow won't, won't uh, fulfill us. Jesus was a man of sorrows, but was he filled with joy? You bet he was. He, understand the he understood the plan. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus as we navigate through this life. He will fill us with joy and peace, it says. He's the God of hope. We can remain hopeful in all circumstances of life. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we do, there will be inexpressible joy. Well, the, the disciples, as they're coming back, they want to share this joy. They want to share 
the, the experience that they had, but more so, they want to they share in the source. Because remember, Jesus sent them out on their own. Two by two, he said, I want to part, you to partner with somebody so we can keep the uh, account accurate. Knowing you guys, you like to embellish a little bit, you know. Peter will say, got, you know, anytime you talk, oh yeah, I was, I was sharing the gospel and 60 people got saved. No, actually it was only 10, but it um, wasn't 60, you know. Now, but but he, wanted, he sent them out two by two. They were paired with power. That was my message last week. If you missed it, you can catch it on our website. He paired, paired them with power and sent them out. And now they're coming back again, full of joy because the source, Jesus being God, by the way, sending them out into the world. They're coming back and they're saying, oh Lord, the things we experienced. Did they get rejected? Uh, yeah, they did. Were, were there people hostile towards them? It's not in our account, but we know the flavor. We know the tune of the environment and the culture that they lived in was anti-Christ. They were against Christ, kind of similar to the environment we live in today. And yet they came back beaming. Listen, even in the midst of difficult times, in, in you know, very, very, uh, even when you're, be, you're suffering for Christ, there's joy. Peter and John, when they were beaten on for the sake of the gospel in Acts chapter 4, they came back going, man, I'll give up this ministry. That's all, there's, there's no joy in this. No, they didn't. They came back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer on Christ's account. I don't say that to, to say, hey, go put yourself in a situation where you can suffer. They were doing what Christ called them to do, and in the midst of that, they encountered suffering, and yet, they were joyful. And they came out of that rejoicing. We don't pretend to know what God is doing in the midst of our suffering, but He is doing something. He is in control, and He is watching over us, and He is at work. We can rest in Him during these times. There's five different types of joy, five different things that these guys experienced that, that where, where their joy was full, five different things. The first thing we find is in verse 17, the joy of testifying. The joy of testifying what the Lord had done through them in, in, this, in, this, uh, in these cities that they were sent. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We don't know what the time frame is when they, what had passed here, but they had accomplished their mission. It was time for them to return. And notice, there were no casualties. Every one of these guys that sent out came back. They had a mission. God's hand was upon their life. He was watching over them, and they didn't experience any. No one was lost. They came back with all their fingers and their toes, Although there is occupational hazard being a missionary for Christ, none of these were lost. There's security in being a minister for Christ. In being a minister for Christ. And, and we, we don't, it doesn't mean we, we're not going to experience hardship or even harm. But what we know is that we're secure in His hand. The Bible says nothing can take us from His hand. Are you comforted by that today? When you walk into a circumstance that presents itself as giving you the opportunity to be fearful, do you say, I'm in His hands? I'm in His hand, and His hand is a strong hand. His hand is a sovereign hand, and nobody can take me from that hand. These guys understood that. They came back as Jesus had sent them out. He tells us here that they were full of joy, that they could testify of how God used them. 
He used them greatly. He did everything that they told him to do, and yet they came back rejoicing, really testifying of one thing. They came back exploding with gladness. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were ecstatic that they were, uh, that they were able to experience something even more than what Christ had told them that they were going to do. He told them simply they were going to heal the sick and talk about the kingdom of God, and yet there was an extra blessing in that. I don't think when God sends us out, He gives us um, you know, an all-inclusive in, all list. I don't think 1 Corinthians 12 is an all-inclusive list of the gifts of the Spirit. I think it's some of them. But I don't think, I think we could fill volumes of books of the giftings of the Spirit of God. And yet these guys experienced something that was outside of what God said that he was going to do. Now, the 12 that were sent out, they were told that they were going to cast out demons. These guys didn't expect that. And yet there had to have been a, a, some demonic presence encounter that they had, every one of them. It seems like the entire group had experienced this power, that they were joyful over this specific thing. It would suggest to us that that would be maybe the ultimate of things, that service, services that you could do on behalf of the Lord. It would declare the authority, the ultimate authority that one would have if they could, in fact, cast out demons. They watched the Lord do it all the time. Just at a word, gone. Yet these guys come back ecstatic. I wonder how many people were healed. I wonder how many people received their word. And, 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 they, and they, they were excited about this. Now, this is, I would say that this is a little bit of a misguided joy here. The fact that they're joyful in this. And Jesus even suggests that as we go down here. We'll find in verse 20 where he says, don't, don't, don't rejoice in that. It's great that you were able to do that in my name. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. There's something greater for us to rejoice in. We'll get to that. But these guys were ecstatic that Jesus could use them in that, in that way. Now notice they understand the source. It's, it's really good that they understood the source of their power here. That it was in his name. That it wasn't in their name. They weren't, they weren't sent out in their own power. And it was, you know, the demons were subject to them, period. No, that's not how it works. The demons are not afraid of you. You understand that. There is no power in you. The power in you is the Christ in you. That is where, where even the demons tremble. They fear and tremble at his name. When Jesus showed up it, it, to, to the, um, the demon-possessed man and Genesarad, and, and he was filled with a legion of demons, 6,000 probably demon-possessed in this man. And he, Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, we are legion, for we are many. The word legion means, well, a legion of Romans would be, I think, around 6,000 men. It's a lot of demons. And yet Jesus just said, be gone, and they were gone. Don't, don't, don't cast us out into the abyss, Jesus. It's his name. It's Him. There's power in Him. When you're ministering, don't you forget that the power is not in yourself. It's in His name. 
And when you're ministering to people, you need to declare His name over whatever it is that you're dealing with. Because there's power in His name. Not only as ministering to others, but power in His name in your own life. There is power in His name in your own life. And you need to declare the power of Jesus Christ in His name over whatever you're dealing with. You need to claim His victory. You need to claim His power. You need to claim what is rightfully yours in Christ as an heir of the kingdom of God. You need to proclaim His name. And you need to um, not depend upon yourself. Depend on Him. There are some fellows that tried to do this demon possession, you know, demon uh, uh, exorcism. In the Bible, it didn't work out real well for them. The seven sons of Sceva, remember Acts chapter 19, they encountered a, a demon-possessed man. There were the Jewish exorcists that went into people's homes and they cast these demons out. And what ended up happening? They were like, well, we see Paul casting out demons and all this stuff, so we're just going gonna, gonna to do it. We're going to say, hey, we're going to say in the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. That's how we're going to cast out the demon. There's no power in that because the power of Jesus is in you. The power of Jesus is in you, and he tells them in Acts chapter 19, it says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the, and the account goes on to say that the demons beat the living tar out of him, stripped him naked, and sent him on their way. That's a bad day in ministry. I don't care who you are. That is not a good day in ministry. We need to recognize where the power comes from, who the power, in, in whose name it is. F.B. Meyer said, be sure to rely not on numbers or organization, but on the name of Jesus. Use not as a charm but as representing His living and ascended might. Him. There's power in Him. He was able to raise Himself from the dead. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I will take it back up, Jesus said. There's power in Him. And if He's in you, then there's power in Him in you. Not just in you but there's power in Him in you. His name. His name. They had the joy of testifying. Do you have the joy of testifying today? Are there things that to testify, to talk about what God has done in and through you in your life? You have a testimony. Do you have uh, something that you can talk about today that God did last week, last month, last year? I pray that you're not living off of somebody else's testif testifying. I pray you have your own things that you can testify of. We can scour the internet and we can read all these books about the people testifying what God's done in their life. But let me tell you something. God wants you to have your own story. He wants you, he wants you to be able to testify on your own of the things that He's doing in and through you. And maybe you have experienced that at a time in your life and today you're just in a desert and you're feeling kind of dry and you're saying, man, I really don't have anything to testify about. It, does, is, did God stop using you? Or did you stop letting God use you? Maybe you need to not live on, like, like the children of Israel weren't allowed to live on to, uh, yesterday's manna, but they had to live on today's manna 
the idea that we have to get the man of the bread of life daily, the word of God on a daily basis, but we also need to be living testimonies and receiving something that we can testify about regularly. Regularly. There, there are no bench warmers in Christ's kingdom. He uses us all and in different ways. But listen, let him use you. He wants to use you. Let, 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 let your cry out to him be the same as Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 where he said, Father, here am I, send me. Send me out, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Let him tell you where to go and tell you what to say. And then you can come back as these men did in the joy of testifying of the great thing that he's, he's done in your life. Secondly, we find the joy of our victory. Look at verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. And after hearing this testimony, after hearing them testify and being overjoyed that they could cast out demons in his name, Jesus brings up something interesting. His immediate response is, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What does that mean? Why did he say that immediately after? There's a couple different reasons probably. We'll know for sure when we get to heaven and ask Jesus, hey, what do you mean by that? This is going to be the first thing on your mind, I guarantee you. Probably not. Probably not. But, but why did he say that? Well, some believe that maybe Jesus was, you know, with the capacity to maybe see the, 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 the spiritual realm and the physical realm at the same time was seeing Satan being cast down as he would go before the throne and say, I want to take these guys out. And the Lord would say, no, you're not going to do that. Be gone. I don't know that he's really talking about that. That present time. It's past tense, I saw. So what is he talking about? Maybe he's using it in terms of, hey, don't get too prideful in the way that I used you. Be careful. And I think there is a lot, that, that is an incredible application, I think, and a real truth to what's being said here is Jesus immediately goes to Satan. Who, what was his heir? Pride. I will be like the Most High God, he said. And we'll read the verse in a minute, but be careful because I saw Satan fall like lightning when he became proud. Don't you as my minister, as the one that I'm sending into the world, don't you dare become prideful as if it's about you, as if it's about your capacity to do these things. It's not. Beware, Satan fell that way. But more so, probably what Jesus is speaking about is the very point in which Satan fell from heaven to earth when he became proud. We, we find the account in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 through, through 15. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will set <clears throat> on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought low to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Jesus said, I watched him fall like nightly. In the moment he started to try and storm the throne room of God. 
God said, be gone. And like lightning, how fast is that? Pretty fast. Boom. Gone. Completely gone. Be careful. The Bible says before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Satan's heart was proud in the moment he was gone. He was a steamed angel. He was somebody that God was, was, was using, and yet pride. I don't know what you can possibly be thinking if you're in his presence and you think you can do better, and yet how often we think we know better than him, and how often we think, God, if you would only do it my way, my life would be so much better. Be careful. Beware. Now, what we find in Isaiah chapter 14 is a positional victory. Satan fell, and it says that he is, he is brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. There's a moment in the history of mankind when the enemy will be bound in the pit for a thousand years. And then he will be cast from that pit into the lake of fire forever. Continual falling to falling to falling. But, but what we find in Isaiah chapter 14 is a positional victory. The Lord is saying, I've already given victory. Jesus hasn't even come yet. Isaiah is proclaiming that the victory is already had. It's done. We find this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Immediately after the fall of man, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is speaking about Jesus Christ coming into the world to crush Satan, to, to, uh, to, to grab hold of the victory that has already been proclaimed. That's already, God already said there's positional victory in Genesis 3.15. You know, several thousand years before Jesus Christ even showed up on the scene, God said, it's finished. It's done already. I will take my title deed back from the earth. Jesus has positional victory over the enemy already now, and he's proclaiming that even here, but now he just has to walk in it. You realize that. Jesus had to walk in the victory that he was already given in order to fully receive it. It's called progression. He had to progress in the victory that he had already been given. Positionally, he already had it. Does that make sense? It's past tense. But what he's saying practically, there is a progression that happens, just like your sanctification. Positionally, you're holy already. God looks at you as if you're holy. You've been justified. You've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ's blood covers your sin. You're forgiven. Positionally. Then why do I still fall? Because there's a progressive sanctification going on in your life. It's progressive. It's happening one step at a time as God works him. It works out his will in your life and you become more like his son. You experience what you already have. So what does that say? Progress. Progress in your walk with the Lord. Jesus had to. 
Jesus had the victory, and yet he had to progress in the victory. He had to go to the cross. He had to be nailed to it. He had to die and rise again in order to uh, put, uh, put on the victor's crown. And yet, he already had it. And so that's the same place we find ourselves today. We have victory in him. Well, why am I struggling? Why do I continually fall, it seems like? I don't understand well, because positionally, you're forgiven and you're, you're, you're perfect in his eyes. Progressively, God is working out that perfection. And then the third step in your sanctification process is perfection. That is the glorification stage where you are no longer struggling in this body where God changes you in a twinkling of an eye. You're changed. You're like him. And that will happen soon enough. What God is teaching us in this moment in our lives is that we can walk out that which we already have if we'll just submit ourselves to him. If we'll just do what he says. You can experience this progressive sanctification and you are experiencing it. Unfortunately, so many, so many settle for a certain level of progression and they just go, oh, that's, this must be what, it's, what it is until we get to heaven this is, I guess, the way it is. No, this is not the way it is. If you have struggles in your life and you continue to be routed by those struggles in your life, you're not progressing. In fact, oftentimes, if you're, I would say, if you're not progressing, you're regressing. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backward. In God's economy, that's the way it works. There is no gray area there is no neutral ground with God. You're either for him or against him. You're either progressing or you're not. You're either pursuing him or you are resting, or you're not doing anything. You're being lazy in him. He says, listen, progress. Progress. Why does the Bible say don't grow weary? Because it's a progression. You have to progress. But, what we need to understand is it's not a, a hopeless progression, is it? Because positionally, we already have what we're after. <laughs> so if we would just recognize, Lord, I already have this. I already have what... Th these guys, when they came and they cast out the demons, they had the power to do it. They didn't even know it. What I'm saying to you today is you have the power in your life to deal with whatever you're dealing with in his name. He's given it to you already, positionally, if you're in Christ. What does that mean? Well, if you are in Him, if He is your Lord, if you have come to that place where you've said, Lord, I'm giving my life to you, I'm yours. And honestly, we're all on a, on a quest to find out who we are to follow because God puts something in our heart. We are following something. Some people take the secular route and they follow their career path and they follow... You know, whatever they think is going to satisfy them, and yet it ends up empty. People choose religion, and they go down a religious route, and they, they think that they're progressing, and yet at the end they will find that religion is empty. What God is pointing us to is His Son and relationship with Him. That's what it's about. And He's telling us when we come to that place where we recognize, all I need is Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I need Jesus today. I need him. And he would say, you already have him. You just have to bring him in. You understand how this works? He's already given you his son. 
All you have to simply do is receive him in, but he won't make you do that. He's saying, hey, I gave you, I gave you the truth, and I gave you an opportunity to know me. Now the choice is yours. You have to make that decision. And I'm thankful that God doesn't just leave us by ourselves to make that up, that he sent his spirit in the world to, 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 to help us to understand who he is, to convict our hearts of the things that we're going through, you know, to, to question the things that we're dealing with in our lives. Lord, you know, so oftentimes people will say, Lord, am I even a Christian? Why? Maybe a, maybe a conviction in your heart. Maybe the Lord's trying to reveal something to you. Just because you make a profession of faith, just because you say a prayer, doesn't necessarily mean that you've committed your life to Christ. A committed life to Christ is a changed life. I mean, you want to know whether you're in Christ or not. Has your life changed? That is the, the thing that, that is the litmus test. Am I a different person? Because there's no way that the living God can come inside of you and you be the same person. Uh, I mean, I, I would venture to say every one of you would say, my life drastically changed the moment Christ came in. My life drastically changed the moment Christ came in. And nobody who ever has ever accepted Christ is any different. Your life radically changes because you have him inside of you now. And you have the, the power to overcome sin because the power's in him. There is victory in him. He tells his disciples here, listen, you have victory over the, de the devil and his angels. You have victory over the serpent and scorpions. You don't have to worry about them harming you because I'm in you. You have to worry about that. I'm empowered you. Now, I understand Christ hasn't gone to the, you know, like as far as chronology goes, Christ hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't done that. But practically speaking, they're experiencing already what he has given them. They, they lived in a, in a very special time, and Jesus says this. The beginning of the church age, the very beginning of where God was closing out one covenant and bringing in a new one. And these guys were kind of in between there, and they were experienced kind of both at the same time. Jesus was helping them understand the new covenant the very same time they were still under the old covenant until Christ had died and risen again. So they were kind of like, they were experiencing both of these. How, what an incredible privilege to be those people, to be able to experience that. I don't know what it's like to be under the old covenant in terms of, you know, living in that society, in that world, but they did. And yet they also were the ones to step over the threshold into the new covenant. How awesome is that? Incredible to, to be those guys. Christ is telling us already that we have, we have this victory in him there's 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 nothing that can rout you do we believe that god's plan cannot be thwarted then whatever you're going through in your life we just rest in him going you know what god your plan is your plan and i don't pretend to know what that is because your word says that my thoughts are not your thoughts i hope that in progression my thoughts are becoming more like your thoughts but i understand that you have a sovereign plan over all of this and somehow you know, I fit into it, and I'm just trying to do my best with it, but ultimately, you know, I don't even know where I was going with that thought. It just, whoa, come back here. I need that thought. What was I saying? But what he's telling us here is we have victory in him, and we have to progress in that. 
We have to walk in that. We give the enemy power in our lives, guys, to rout us. Christ is saying, you don't have to do that because I've given you authority over him. And not only that, but I've given you authority over your flesh. I've given you authority over your flesh. My spirit. Now walk in my spirit as, the, as Paul would continue to talk about what it means to progress in sanctification, to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. There is joy in our victory. Not only that, but we see there is joy in our justification. Jesus said this, nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does it mean their names are written in heaven? How does someone's name be written in heaven? It would suggest that your name has to be written in heaven or else you don't get to go to heaven. Not everybody gets to go to heaven. Why are their names written in heaven? What made that case for them? Christ. Jesus made that. Listen, these guys were under the old covenant. God was relating to the world through this, this, this religious system called Judaism, and they were part of that, and their names weren't written in, the, in, in heaven just because they were part of that system. Some of those people were by faith, the Bible would tell us. By faith in who? In the one to come, in the Messiah. That's what the whole Old Covenant is about. If you do a study on it, you'll see that everything in the Old Covenant points to Jesus. The tabernacle, the layout, the sacrifices, all of these things point to Jesus Christ. They help us to see that all we need is Jesus. And he's telling them that I'm the reason your names are written. Not in, not in your ministry. Don't get confused. Don't get wrapped up in, oh, I'm certainly going to be in heaven now. Look what I'm doing. Look how God's using me. For sure I'm going to be there. No. It's in Him. And it's him, in Him alone. He's talking about justification or salvation. Uh, same idea. What is justification? It's when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. In that moment, there is a great exchange that happens in heaven where your, your bank account that's been continually accumulating your debt of sin, all of a sudden Christ comes into the to the, um, the, to the accountant and says, I want to pay Tim Romero's debt off in full. And he, they clean my bank account, my, my debt out, and I also get a credit. That's justification. And Jesus is telling us right now that, that we can rejoice in the fact that we're justified. If we're justified, at the very same time what happens? We're adopted into the kingdom of God. Very same time. These things happen simultaneously. What is the catalyst? Faith in Jesus Christ. This is the only way. It's the only way to be justified before the Father. You listen, you can serve God with, with all your heart and you can do all these great things and you can help a hundred little old ladies across the street and you can, you, know, you can do all these things, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to be going to heaven. It's only relationship with Him. He goes on and he tells us here, focus on the most important thing, the fact that I saved you. Listen, if that doesn't bring a smile to your face, something's wrong with you. <laughs> uh, when you wake up and you realize, like, the God of, of the heavens has, has justified me before him. I don't owe a single penny because Christ paid it. I am overjoyed. And when I think about my salvation, it puts a smile on my face because I know what I deserve. 
and you know what you deserve. And yet Christ said, no, I love you more. I'm going to give you not what you deserve, but I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, grace. I'm going to give you grace. What a good God we have, man. He is so awesome. And he constantly tells us to focus on the, the, he prioritizes for us continually. No, no, don't get, you, I know how sidetracked you guys can get, so just focus on the bigger picture, the fact that you're saved. Keep your mind set on that thing. Keep your mind, he said, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That would suggest even ministry, guys. Keep your eyes upward and let God use you horizontally, but don't ever get your eyes horizontal because you, pride will come in. And, and then you will be routed yourself. Rejoice in your justification. There is joy in that. <clears throat> we come to our fourth joy, which is the joy of our Lord rejoicing. Look at this in verse 21. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will not getting what you deserve, gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or the Father is except the Son, and anyone in whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I have, I have kids, I have four kids, and, and it brings my heart great joy to watch them be excited. As I watch them just, you know, yeah, with the snow, man. I mean, you know, the snow comes and my kids are up at 6.30, dressed, ready to go outside. And I'm like, what are you nutballs doing? It, it's like, you know, I mean, I, it, the snow's going to be there in an hour. Yeah, but they want to enjoy it. And it just brings them so much joy. You know, and for me, well, brings me joy to watch them be joyous. And I think this is what Jesus is experiencing in this moment. In the spirit, he's like, oh man, look at my kids. Look at them. They're just overjoyed. They're just blessed that, that they're being able to be used and that God is working in and through them. And wow, that blesses me. Did you know you can bless God? I think when we're obedient to God and, and, and when we follow him and we're beaming in him and we're exalting him and we're living for him and and we're satisfied in him, I think that it causes his heart to rejoice because he did it for you. He did it all for you. He came to this, you know, he came to earth to die for you. That's how much he loves you. The ultimate purpose is that he would get glory, though. He's the, he's the ultimate one, but, but, but I think he finds joy in it. Jesus rejoicing. He's excited. He's jubilant in what? In his Father. He's jubilant in his Father that his Father would work in such a way in these guys' lives. He says, I thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in, in, in these guys' lives, Lord. Continue. Thank you for revealing these things. Here we find here that it's the Father that reveals. It's the Father's will. It's, it's His choice. He reveals it. And who does He reveal it to? Not to the most wise. Not to those who think they should know. 
Not to those who are simply interested in some intellectual understanding, but he reveals it to those who are like children, to those who will believe by faith. That is who he's revealing it to. That, that, you ever wonder why, like, man, there's so many smart people in the world, you would think that this would be a no-brainer. Like, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I get it. I'm not super smart, and I get it. In fact, that was even prideful. I'm not smart at all. I'm not even super smart. I'm not smart. And you look at the word, and you see this, and you go, well, it, I mean, it really does make sense. And then the experience of the word of God in my life, well, it, it totally makes sense. And then when I think about the vastness of the world and how it was created and all this kind of stuff, and the fact that the really smart people really don't know how it happened either, but they just are sort of going with some line of thinking that they can't prove, by the way, but, but it's okay. They're, they're using faith. But yet, for someone who would believe by faith, it would be intellectual suicide to these people, to the, to the smart ones. I mean, it's amazing. But yet God, there's a factor in this. It's God. He's not revealing it to those who don't want to know. He's not revealing it to those who are just simply smart and are interested in knowing more, but he's interested in those who are interested in knowing him. It's about knowing him. It's not about, you know, there's, there can be a man-centered focus, and that's those whom God is concealing this from because it's about them. How can I use this to best, you know, to, for, for my own personal gain? And he says, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, so I'm going to hold back. Not that he, you know, I mean, God could, people blame God for, well, well then it's his fault that I don't know, right? Well, no, because really the Bible says if you seek me, you'll know me. If you seek me with what? Half your heart? No, with all your heart. So, so really, where does it lie? It, it seems like God is in the business of revealing himself through his son, and yet we're in the business of trying to find some, fill some void in our life. Where is the disconnect? The disconnect in it is in our desire to know him, in what the motive is behind why we want to know. And God says, I'm not going to reveal it to those who really don't want to know or want to know for their own personal gain. But I want people who are genuinely interested in the truth. Jesus is rejoicing in, his, in what His Father's doing here. And He's rejoicing in you and I today. The Bible tells us also that, you know, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. When you're out there sharing the gospel, the whole all of heaven is, is, is cheering you on, man. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses is not little fat babies on clouds, but it's probably saints that have gone before us, right? And are, are cheering us on, right? And they're saying, go for Christ. Go for Christ. Share them the love of Christ. Give them Jesus. And then when somebody comes to Christ, the whole of heaven, could you imagine, erupts with rejoicing. Jesus! Yeah! You ever been in a stadium when, when a, the hometown team wins? Or you ever been to a Tennessee game or something? I hear those fans are the loudest of all fans. How many ever thousands of people are in there, but it's a rejoicing when they score a touchdown. What is it like in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance? 
There's a party going on and God is rejoicing over His kids when we follow His will. Nobody's excluded from this revealing, guys. God is saying the only ones that are excluded are the ones that won't, don't, will not operate by faith. It's impossible to please Him without faith. And you know what? We're full of joy as we, as we understand our Lord to be rejoicing. That should bring us joy in our lives. And also, the last thing we find is the joy of living in this era. Look at verse 23. Then turning to his disciples, he, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and hear it, what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is telling these guys there is a blessing, a huge blessing for them to be able to see what they get to see, namely Jesus, the manifest Messiah. The fact that the promised one actually came just like God said he would and he took on flesh and he's revealing himself to them and they're getting to see all this. The, the entire uh, you know, lineages before their generation long to see this happen. People long to see it happen. All of creation was waiting for the day when Jesus would show up. And when he did, the church age was ushered, ushered, ushered in. Ushered in, in. This is the era we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the river by the word of his power. These last days. God was speaking to the world, but in these last days, in this era, in this age, he's revealing himself through his son. These guys are super blessed because of the, the time period in which they live. You're super blessed because of the time period that you live in. You realize we are in the last of the last days. These were the last days 2,000 years ago. We're in the last of the last days, folks. And we are blessed to be able to be those who can share the gospel, that can go out into the world, that can proclaim it to whoever freely. We can just offer Christ. And for those who would reject it, well, they're rejecting him. But we're special. You know, the Bible says that we, we have an, a, an incredible ministry and the ministry of reconciliation that you and I get to be a part of what God's doing in reconciling man to himself. That is an incredible privilege for you and I that all of these generations before didn't get to experience. You and I get to experience something that they didn't get to experience. It's an incredible time and, and day we live in. Not only that, but think about in, you know, some of the greatest pillars of our faith in the last 300 years. You think of guys like, you know, I don't know, like Charles Finney, uh, Dwight Moody, you know, Charles Spurgeon. Um, all these different guys that God's used to, to bring the gospel forward and, and in big ways. And yet, do you know that you got, you got to see something that they didn't get to see, that they longed to see. What was it? The nation of Israel becoming a nation again. 
1948. We are blessed, guys, to live in the era that we live in because this was one of the last pieces of the prophetic puzzle that was going on is when Israel has to become a nation. And in 1948 that happened, the Bible says that a generation shall not pass from that time period. We're in the last of the last days. What does that generation mean? Oh, it's been discussed. Who knows? I mean, the scholars, you know, they, they, they discuss it, and I'm not a scholar, so I just kind of observe, and I just know that we're in the last of the last days. Whether that word generation means 70 days or 70 years or 120 years or 1,000 years, I don't know, but I know that I'm called to be ready today. They were called to be ready in their day. We certainly... 2,000 years later should be ready for Christ to come back, amen? Because he's coming back. We live in a, in a blessed time. They lived in an incredible blessed time where they got to see and hear things that, that all of the old prophets and, and, and um, priests and all these guys, the pillars of, the, of, the, of Judaism, didn't get to see but longed for. They got to see these things. And as a result of that, what a privilege. What an incredible time to be a Christian in our day, in, in their day, for them to see Christ come. There is inexpressible joy available to the minister today. That's you, that's me. He is the source of that joy. And yet, as we go out into the world and we let our joy shine, we experience all kinds of different ways that the Lord uses us. And man, it is, it is an awesome honor and privilege to be able to use by the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great work that you've done in us, Lord. The greatest miracle of all miracles is the miracle of salvation, Lord. That you've saved us. That you've redeemed us through the blood of your Son. God, we cherish that. And we rejoice in that this morning. God, our joy is full this morning because of the source that we have, and that is you. And we ask, Father, for my brothers and sisters here today, God, that are in relationship with you but aren't experiencing that full joy, that you would help them to just get their eyes off of their circumstances, get their eyes off of the things that are going on in their lives, and just help them to get their eyes on Jesus today. Lord, may we proclaim the mighty name of Jesus over those things in our life that, are, that, are, that we are allowing to, to rob our joy. We're essentially giving that which you gave us and we're saying, here, take my joy from me. Here, circumstance. Here, problem. And yet you're saying, just keep your eyes on me and the joy will remain. Because he's the source. He's bigger. And Lord, may we proclaim your powerful name in all of those situations in our life. And Father, may we help those around us to see that all they need to do is cry out to Jesus. All they need to do is call upon His mighty name for salvation and for sanctification. Lord, there are those in this place this morning that need to proclaim Your name in their lives. We all need to. But there are specific things going on, Lord, You know. And I pray as we close in this song, God, that you would help those who need that power, that need to have their joy restored, Lord, that you would help them to proclaim your name 
over whatever it is in their life that's dragging them down. We thank you, God, for just all that you've done in our lives, and we ask that you would, in this moment, in every one of our hearts, God, that you would just draw us near and you would speak to us about our joy, about our, where we're placing our faith. And may you help us to proclaim the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.